you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. And boom, there we are. Okay. Boom. How you doing, Stephen? Good. How are you? I got. I went prehistoric this time. You know, I was all all library last time. Figured I had to do something a modern primitive, if you will. So okay. I would say, oh, we've entered the Jurassic Age, Jurassic Park. But someone would probably say, yeah, well, those dinosaurs didn't exist during that. That's true. It's Triassic, or it's Cretaceous, yeah. or it's whatever yeah, is appropriate not- for the. I'm not up a, on my dinosaurs enough to know exactly where they fit. I'm pretty sure this guy is a stegosaurus and this guy is an iguanodon, but I'm not sure. And it's also that whatever name it once was known as, they tend to like get a new one nowadays when they yeah. find out, oh, you were you know mixing between the bones or one was old and one was younger. I've actually heard a couple of fascinating lectures about for something that is, you know, hundreds of millions year, years old, we're still discovering. We're still figuring out exactly that it's it's a classic puzzle where like there's no instruction sheet there's no solution you can turn to you just have to go with what do we know about things nowadays and how animals have to work in order to have weight supporting muscles and have room for organs and you know <laughs> and, and you know that's a really good example we've talked education in bit at times and mm-hmm. what is taught about dinosaurs when we were younger and and to this day it hasn't changed a whole lot but they've right. discovered so many things and changed their thoughts and stuff different. You know, the, the brontosaurus, apatosaurus, and, uh, you know, when we learned it, it was, oh, they stayed in the water and their tails drooped. And, you know, and they've learned, you know, even up to when they did Jurassic Park, the movie, things were different, the, that these creatures moved fast. And right. they had feathers that we believe a lot of them did because of the, exactly their lineage. They used the tail stabilizer when they ran, not that it kind of like dragged on the ground all the time. So, right. and actually... I, I really, if you're looking, this is such a relentless geekery topic because it is the march of science. You know what I mean? Whatever we learned when we were young, we we are getting better at, well, this doesn't exactly match what we know of how the bones were found. Were they swamp dwellers? No, they were kind of on the beach or that like the shapes of heads and stuff like that. It's not only, hey, it's a skull. It's like, you know, that's a similar skull as to animals nowadays that make a hooting noise. Right. And so they've that they were actually not growling or roaring like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, that they actually might have been like, you know, hoot and having little bird calls. Huh. Speaking of birds, you know, now that now that we know that there's lizard-hipped dinosaurs and bird-hipped dinosaurs, and that there is a, a wonderful chain of descent that leads us up to the chicken <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ferocious <laughs> chicken. Exactly. And and you can see honestly. Boy, there's no more true thing than the, quote, theory of evolution, because it does all that you want science to do. It explains, it predicts, it it talks about, hey, all we are, we know that there must be something in between these two to have mutated and from natural selection gotten over the course of time between these. And so it's not, oh, it's a mystery. There's There's gaps. There's a missing link. It's more, we'll just find it. 
We know we will. There's scatterings of various different things. You can see how they adapt to their environment. You can see how the pressure of natural selection, it wasn't who was the mightiest creature in the forest and the jungle that was the winner. It was the ones that adapted best to their environment, bred, created more of themselves, and then they gradually fill that ecological niche. And, and not only the time of dinosaurs, but we see it happening now. You know, all the different kinds of finches that had different specialized beaks based on what Darwin observed for these guys crack different kinds of nuts or they, and Anytime that, like, honestly, the fact that within my lifetime, like only 20 years ago, we actually had a huge court case, Dover, Pennsylvania, about intelligent design and whether there really has to be a, a god, a prime mover unmoved to have created all these things, or whether the every visible thing we have, every best explanation is, nope, all you need is a skillion things and a skillion tries and natural selection will create the vast variety of creatures and how they competed, how, how some were, you know, egg laying versus live birth versus they, you know, wow, some reptiles nowadays, you don't have a male and a female, but funny, they get pregnant. And so then you now you know that's a fact. How do you account for that? And then how do you account for, well, the environment, nature and nurture, both always work together to create the various different kinds of creatures and, and so like all around us, not to be weird, there's dogs. There's dogs of what, 200 different breeds, but they're not a different species. They're all canis, right? You know, like, is it canis canis? I'm trying to think what it is. I should know, right? But it isn't that, and, and like, if you breed dogs, when you get a labradoodle, it's like, that there is science. It inherits characteristics from each of the parents, and it has some of each, and some of them look beautiful, and some of them look a little weird. And so you think, you know, that guy doesn't have now either the running capability or the digging capability of its forebears, so it might not work because you kind of have to specialize and fill a niche in order to survive and be the best sap sucker, the best mole seeker, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So I just, whenever people, I've had a couple of conversations about, you know, that they just don't, quotes, don't believe. It's like, well, that's a really good word because believe is exactly what you have to do or not. You can look at all the facts and still say, nope, all of that, the impossible <laughs> earth's worth of true that you're going to reject in order to say, nope, 6,000 years old, nope. You know, God, God sat down and said, I'm going to make us a trillion different animals. And yeah, some of them are going to die off, but that's, is it a mistake? No, that was my plan all along. Oh, you, you know, why, why are you even... How does your mind go to that place of rejecting so much of what makes sense? And it's not just the fossil record, though we win. There is a fossil record. God didn't bury, you know, to test our faith. I How many times did told that that that's crazy? actually what happened. The well, that, you know, I was in I uh, dinosaurs and they actually said, well, that's because God created the fossils so they would be and the oil on purpose, knowing we need to use it to for car. I'm like, what? Well, so just that. What a wonderful explanation. Perfectly wrong. Doesn't match all the available facts. Doesn't it doesn't even make sense with everything else that you see, like not just from paleontology, but all around us. Every, every like, you know, how, how do insects work? The amazing variety of beetles is not because well, I guess there's still God's plan working because there's a whole new generation of beetles or it's just that we found it or that, you know what I mean? You can, you can like, wow, you're out in white sands and like, here's all these creatures that everywhere else are colorful and here they're white. And, and like, well, that's because 
in order to hide from predators, they, they, the ones who are the lightest color have the best chance of survival of be, going into the next generation. And so eventually you get white lizards and white beetles and white birds and whatever else it might be. And I just, I, the, the, the resistance, the stubbornness, the damage that has to be in you to like look at all the available facts and say, nope, I'm going to go another way. It isn't only that they're wrong about that. It's like, wow, there's a ton of stuff that you're wrong about to see like patterns where there aren't or to insist that there must be a force that creates that instead of just every time it rains, do you really think that every raindrop goes exactly where it's supposed to? Or is it just a wonderful random cascade? And that from that random, I, I, you know, it's kind of funny because I had worked in genetic algorithms and how they work and how you get amazing complex behavior, emergent behavior, as they call it, that it looks like it, it quotes, knows what it's doing. Somebody must have designed this. And it's like, I can guarantee you that it didn't. I created with this wonderful primordial soup of possibilities and the ones that worked not immediately better, but slight advantage over the course of time, give that 10,000 to 100,000 generations and you get what looks like, wow, that's a perfect shark. That's a perfect cow. That's, a, you know, all these various different raptors or herbivores or, or all those various different things. But it wasn't that I, Al Balt is playing God, created these things. It's more, I, I created the initial wonderful conditions of proteins in a soup in the swamp, shot some lightning bolts through it, and behold, <laughs> proteins join together. They find out that, oh, light sensing is a good idea for being able to spot food, dodge predators, but you just inhabit your environment more fully. And then it isn't that you have to go from nothing to suddenly an eyeball. It's that anything that would give you that kind of advantage of being able to taste, hear, smell, see better, all of those work together to say, now I got a creature that's really good at like owls can hear, right? The whisper of a mouse under the snow from like a mile away. And I, I don't, I don't mean to exaggerate because some of the things that I've heard that are really true, that dogs have 40,000 times the smell that we do, it's kind of hard to even put yourself into that. You know what I mean? Like, really, I could sit here and at, right now what I smell is, hey, they're working on the, the parking lot near us. And so I smell tar. But instead, every single thing around me would have a scent. Yeah. You know, th this pill bottle has a scent and so does my iPhone and so does my keyboard. So do I. And my scent changes based on you name it, my emotions, the time of day, what I ate last. Right. And, and you know what I mean? like that expansion of senses, maybe that's why I like the daredevil. Boy, I know I'm not letting you get a word in that. <laughs> I, I'm just keeping track of topic number eight now. So <laughs> exactly. not, not daredevil. But, okay, we're there. <laughs> it's one of the things I have found intoxicating in my life is that expansion of senses. You know, I got a pretty good pair of eyes, but but when I first used like binoculars and you could see something a long ways away and the interesting power of I've expanded my bubble, my sense of things. When I first was, I think I mentioned this before, I've only been out shooting a couple times and I'm surprisingly good at it because I have pretty good eye-hand coordination and muscle control and and anticipation of how that thing might move. So I was a great skeet shooter, for instance. You know what I mean? I really could, for not having ever done it before, I was getting like eight out of 10 on things that like go through the air, but it's like, well, that's physics. You know, and then you wait until it pauses in its spin. Blam, that's when you get it. You don't try to track it during the most difficult part. So having said that, when, when I had that, just the idea of shooting of like, wow, I can touch something a hundred yards away 
And that's an intoxicating thing. I can see how people could really get into that, touch it with accuracy. You know, when I was on a little thing where they had various different times, kinds of targets. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to shoot that, not just the target, but hit it on the edge of it so that it spins. And it's really, wow, I, I really could say, here's what I'm going to do. Call the shot and then plink, it did it. And and Colleen was like, well, how how cool is that? I know you've not been shooting. Like and yet I could, exactly, I, I, I like that. You know what I mean? I, I shoot pool really well. Just the other day, I talked to Colleen how the first time that I tried a masse shot, where you put so much spin on the ball that it actually reverses course and comes back and, and like, and I wasn't sure that I could do it, but in only two or three tries did I figure out this is what you must do. It really matters compared to the ball. You're going to hit it on the side and then just a slight difference of where you're hitting it puts a, imparts a different kind of spin on it. And it was just so cool to be not only can I do this, but I actually never had done it before. And yet human beings have mighty adaptive brains and they could say, well, I've shot 10,000 shots before. I know a little bit about how you put English on something and how you want to do a straight shot and how the amount of force you put means you're going to not like, if you put backspin out, it'll hit it and then come back. So I put all those things into, well, if I had to figure this out, what would I try? And how cool that it didn't take a hundred tries. It took two or three. And I'm like, my God, I'm Minnesota fast. I, I, really, <laughs> I can do we'll the your own cue and everything. <laughs> yeah. I, when I, I did a jump shot. And it's like, okay, so I think what you have to do is you have to put enough force onto it to get it to actually clear the ball. You don't want to hit the ball in between. Evil can evil. And so it's like, you know, the fact that you can actually think of things to try and then do them. The first time that someone, I don't know, I'm pretty good at Frisbee. I'm nowhere near the guy that can do amazing gymnastics and stuff like that. But the first time you think of how you're going to not only, if you just put a certain amount of spin, it goes straight, but you can get a big old wide curve. And then the first time you try to throw a curve ball, I, I threw, you know, with a regular hard ball. And then you play with a wiffle ball and you can get a wiffle ball to curve like three yards because there's no weight compared to the spin you can put on it. And it's like, this is really cool. Physics works. I can conquer it, adapt it to do what I want to do. And like, and, and I, like I said, given three tries, the first time you try it and it spins and it's not really in control, but then you say, well, what I just did, plus a little extra in this way, it's kind of like playing mini golf, you know, who goes first imparts information to all the people to follow as to, well, that's not a perfect right. angle. And so you go, well, if he hit here and it went past the hole here, then you go just a little bit to the left, and it'll go right to the, and I just, I love the fact that people can do that my brain kind of does that automatically don't you always try to learn from right. who went before you and say i'll do what they did plus a little variation and then i'll get a better result and when you have to go first you're like well you're not only going first with the foursome that you're with you're playing with every shot you've ever done and it's like wow my my guess is still pretty good i'm not just random out there i'm really thinking anyway anyway i i just it <laughs> yeah it's very cool to see like I'm a creature like anything else. And so there's got to be times when an animal is running along and they're like, well, I want to get that really tasty, sweet one at the top, but I, am I going to like get, be better at jumping? Am I going to be able to like butt it with my head and knock things out of the tree? Am I going to learn how to use a tool and pick up a branch and, and all those things that you see animals do that wonderful, like the pressure of, I got to eat is enough to get them to be, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. When you have to figure out how to get to safety, how to get to food, how to be attractive to a mate, 
you, you do what you have to. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Nature right. is happy to guide you with all those things. So that's there. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> well, let me um, jump back on something. You mentioned intelligent design, and we were talking dinosaurs and that. You know, right. There's the other newer theory that we live in a computer matrix, that it's all developed in sim. Yeah. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, with some of the arguments I hear people saying about intelligent design or or even going back and forth with intelligent design versus evolution. And then I hear people with actually logical ex, or, you know, arguments with the matrix thing. It almost does make you want, I can, how can we prove we're not? That, you know, that's what it boils down to. See, how can we prove science. that we're not? Exactly. Uh, we Long ago, we went to a cool, Mensa does colloquia. That is, you know, a, instead of a, a big gathering where there's a ton of stuff going on, they focus on a certain issue about language, about cosmology, whatever else it might be. The one that I went to on cosmology was really good. We had great speakers like Brian Green, who talks about, you know, the universe is probably really in 10 dimensions, not the three that we can kind of perceive, maybe four if you had time, that the best explanation is, the quotes, the best explanation for what we can observe is this. And then another scientist, a fellow scientist, kind of said, and the problem with that is that it's not science because you can't test it. You can't experiment and see how true is it or not. You can't gain traction towards it. You have an explanation and maybe you have slight predictability, but you don't have another universe as a test case to be able to try. Well, if that wasn't true, if I perturbed it in this way, what would happen? So it's very cool to see even at that top level of science, big old brains, there still are people that are like, well, but you can't call it science unless it really has falsifiability, provability, and that a lot of people don't really get that about science, that right. it isn't only how much you assert, it's that you have to be humble enough to say, well, how could I prove it? And how many experiments, what's the sample size? What's the, all the ways in which we know how to do correct scientific method, you know, create a hypothesis, design an experiment to test the hypothesis, see how true it is accounting for all the variables you can in the act of doing the experiment you find out well it doesn't account for everything so then you don't just say well i had the one shot and i figured it out you continually are in that refinement process and only when things are you know statistically 99.999 percent probably that's when you start to say it's our it really is our best guess this really and we can't refute that we've seen these observations and in fact here we'll do a fun little segue now did you see oppenheimer I, I did last night. I went with Colin. Okay. We we saw it also. You'll see Sunday night. So it really, it's a great movie about science. Of course, yeah, it's about I thought the same the thing. mom and the war and personalities and so forth. But so much of what it was about was like the just the opening of, wow, quantum mechanics shows up. A that lot, things are not really Newtonian. You know what I mean? They're quantum. You have to say that there really is random activity that you can't predict certain things. They brought in Heisenberg, who the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is named after. And, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they, like, this guy had to kind of go from place to place to find pockets of scientists that were even willing to entertain, like after Einstein, Albert Einstein had said, God does not play dice with the universe. Yeah, he does. There really are events that are unpredictable at that quantum level, and that 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 opened up. Not only did it push aside some of our best understanding up to that point, that point up to that point was really good down to whatever atomic level or whatever observed observations we could make of the universe. 
but there was something deeper. And then once you know that that is probably true, or just in the act of testing it, you can't deny the, the findings that you're getting. Like he starts one lecture with, so you know that matter is both a wave and a particle. And even though it can't be, it is. And right. then what do we do to explain that, to understand that, to be able to use that for a deeper understanding of the universe and a deeper ability to predict. And just, it's kind of funny. Imagine that back in the 40s, 30s going into 40s, when that was first presented and people just kind of, yeah, all the minds of the world still couldn't quite get it. You and, know what and, I mean? They the people that were right, <laughs> that knew, that could look ahead, see things that were new, they were we know they were right now looking back at it but at that time they were dismissed and they were shunned they were like you're the witch doctor of our group we don't want to talk to you and that and it's like wow we have not changed at all have we it's still yeah. like that it's probably regressed more but well we just have louder people that are determined to not do science yes. you know what i mean but that hasn't stopped like the more that we learn about radiation the more that we understand deeply that there really is you know schrodinger's cat you really can't predict. You can't know. The act of observing a system also changes the system. So there's been... Which is a like, basis and, and, of quantum physics. Exactly. Boy, I don't know if you've ever read Gödel Escher Bach. It's a great book by Douglas Hofstetter. And it talks about how there are similarities between the views of the world of those great men. Gödel had a, an incompleteness theorem that you can't have a system where the system is inherently complete with the... You always have to start with a certain number of axioms. Boy, I hope I don't butcher this for anybody who really understands this deeply. But it, it's about how systems have a frame of reference and they're bigger or smaller and that you kind of have to decide in order to have this frame of reference, I have to include or exclude certain other things that I know because it'll work within this frame of reference. But then you can't make it complete, define it fully without also bringing in other things. And he talked about how that is well represented that is Hofstetter did in Escher's work where it creates impossible, but plausible, perfectly coordinated things. You know, the, the famous thing where people are walking on the ceiling and on those staircases that go, and, and this thing is a forever staircase that he had that mind that could so perfectly capture the, the ambiguity, the self-negation of something that can't be, but it sure looks right. And so what does it do to our mind? How do we deal with those paradoxes, paradoxes? Anyway, and then Bach in his music with how he did the building of his music and, and what makes it beautiful or interesting or et cetera to us is that it speaks to the system of music as well as music, you know, music itself, as well as being a beautiful piece of music. So I can't recommend that book. In fact, all of Hofstetter's books are when you're sitting there, you're like, wow, I'm really this great mind has managed to capture these things in a way that he can right. share that with me. What an incredible privilege that this, you know, <laughs> dots on paper can, I, I can share something. He injected that into my mind. And that's just so wonderful and exhilarating and humbling. Yes. So <laughs> that we that are in that world, time. you know. It doesn't stop with one or 10 or 100 books. There's so many books that we should be reading about. Oh, well, I so right. Uh, all let, of that, let me about add, Oppenheimer let me... pursuing science and like they had to solve problems that had never been solved before. And so they bring the biggest brains, but the biggest brains can also come with 
egos and maybe a certain amount of social problem because, you know, even back then, though we didn't call it necessarily, there were Asperger's people and autistic people and people that had hyper focus, but they were rough around the edges and working with people. But you need a team to be able to, right. to solve this huge problem. And what a remarkable man Oppenheimer was to be so well respected or so able to see into other people. And of course, he had his own flaws, right? The woman showed he was very much a womanizer and an egotist and that kind of stuff. But but just that, it really captures, I think, the spirit of the Manhattan Project that you had you had to. You had to do this thing to, to win the war, to not let the Nazis get there first and have a, a weapon we'd never seen before, what we knew was going to be terrifying in its impact, in, in its possibility. And, and, and uncertain as to how much it would really be. There, there was a lot of yeah. things they were uncertain about. that, And they even said at one point, oh, well, that's theory. You know, that we're dealing with theory, you know, when Matt Damon was like near zero, <laughs> you know, that, that was done so well. Right. But- and we, we need to, without being a spoiler, we need to explain that, you know, so they're talking to the scientists and they're saying, well, so the way this is going to work is we create a chain reaction of we're splitting an atom and then that throws off other things that also affect other atoms around it. And you get a, a, a chain reaction of nuclear fission, right? Not fusion, but fission. Right. And so what would stop that? Like, you know, we did all of our best calculations for what we understand, and the math says that it's a really, really tiny possibility that we will light the atmosphere on fire and destroy, destroy the, world, the world, but it's not zero. It's like, well, and can we can we get to zero? Because, you know, in the act of building this bomb, we don't want to destroy the world. And they were just, well, it's really tiny, but it's not zero. And so somebody had to say, winning the war is so important that we might, like, cinderize the world. Yeah, but that, you know, that so. whole scene—I actually glommed onto that scene. It to me, it was a very important scene because this is something I've noticed and dealt with my life. You probably have too. It's just I've put more focus on it. That you have these really smart people, and they can figure this stuff out. And there's so many things, but one of the other characteristics of that is seeing things from multiple sides and multiple possibilities, not just the one, this is the answer I want. And they even mentioned, Oh man, the one thing in there, they were talking about where it's like that you have all these scientists arguing about this atomic bomb and what's going to happen. And they know they don't want to do it. They're like, we should just be able to say, look, we got the power and everybody else backs off because, Oh my God, we understand how important this is and how big it could be it, it, it's huge right. but then they even said well you guys kind of get that but 85 percent of the people out there won't understand it until you show it to them and you right. have they to need actually... a demonstration yes. of and, nuclear and, power like the reactor at university of chicago or the yes. bomb and, and, and i was i that scene <clears throat> i was like I understand that so much because there are so many times, even with work with computers and databases and stuff Mm -hmm. where I'm like, well, you know, you got this, you got this, you got that. And and it could be this, but this is important. You know, I I have all these parts. I see all these sides of it. And then I get my boss going, okay, so what's the one we do? What? And I'm like, I I just told you all the possibilities. You tell me, and and they just, you know, just know. And I'm like, well, if we do that, it might do this. Well, what do you mean? It might, you know, so I understood that scene so well, and it explains a Absolutely. whole lot. And and yeah. the, the the one thing I, I'll add to something else you said a minute ago, science, provable and that. But if it's not that, then it's not science, like the other realms and all that. I'd like right. to add on to that, tag on to that. It's not science that we know yet or that we know at the moment. 
because we do keep advancing exactly yeah. based on our understanding based because, on instrumentation that can measure yes, more accurately. That's Galileo right. could have observed the planets and the stars and the movement and said, there's other planets up there in that, but without the instruments to test it, it was magic and it was just speculation. But once they had the instruments and he could prove it, then they killed him. So there he goes right back to that right, same right. thing. He, he knows <laughs> it and there scares everybody else so much that they get rid of him. I right. mean, it, it would have fit this movie perfect. There are some things exactly that are like that. That are so, wow, it really upsets their worldview. People will not let that happen. They won't go through the ego death of something that I believed all my life is not true. I, I kind of like my world as it is. I disagree. No matter what proof you show me. <laughs> it, it, it can't change. Life can't change for them. This is all right. I know right now. And that's the end of it. But it's like, dear God, in the 50, 60 years we've been around, how many new things have they learned and changed? You know, so. Right. Can, it, it, it's, let me get, I, this is kind of funny. Uh, and maybe there's a little bit of this too. One of the things that's necessary for science is to go from, subjective to objective that it really does matter facts matter measurable matters anything that you can put a number around then you can compare between things and you can share that information with others because they can reproduce the experiment they can see that this is true and so I've, I've had some conversations about you know some people there are all kinds of subjective things taste is not a matter of truth it really is if you like ketchup on your hot dog or not it's not yes or no it really is and there's all kinds of things that are only a matter of opinion, only a matter of we even experience things. And the ketchup is only true unless you talk to somebody like Sheldon, because he will tell well, you there's only one and, right answer. And that's why, you know, Big Bang Theory was, well, he just cut to the chase and said, I don't want to have that discussion. It just is. It's this right, way. Right. So, so I, I, there, I, I, this is, I'm not the person, if you will, that developed this idea, this process, but I really have used it multiple times. It's, it's multivariate analysis, what I call the choosinator. So you got a huge big thing. I'm going to buy a car. And what goes into buying a car? It isn't, I like this car, which some people maybe it really is. They walk in and say, this one looks nice and it's red and it, you know what I mean? The price is right, done. But I am the consumer reports guy where I really like to say, well, how safe is it? And what gas mileage does it get? And how many does it see? What's the cargo space? What, what's the expected, sorry, the, the repair things about it? I don't want a car that can stay on the road a third of the time because it's in their shop <laughs> the other two thirds of the time. So I really want to look at all those things. And what's funny is that if you go to talk to people about buying a car, there's a whole array of each of those things. And sometimes people quickly rush to the one issue that matters to them. It really matters to me that it has the biggest range because I really want to be able to drive far without having to seat gas. It matters to me that it's the safest because I have two children and I'm going to have them in the backseat and they're the most precious things in the world. And so all those things. But then if you're looking at, well, how could everybody pick a car? You kind of have to find a way to look at all those factors and include them in the decision and not only go with a single issue. And so I, well, what would you do? You know, it's, I have 30 different things. And what I want to do is for each car, I'm going to rate them on a scale of one to 10. How safe is it? This is a nine versus this is a three. And then it's not only the safety matters, but it really is. There's a way to rate each of those various different things, even subjectively. If it's not everybody would say it's always a nine. Some people would say one, seven, three, nine, whatever else it might be. But then you take, let's say, 50 people, 100 people, and you get a good sample size. And almost provably, depending on the sample size, you're able to get to what does humanity think? If you have a big enough sample size and take all their values and find the average mean, median, mode, how there's various ways of looking at that too, then you can get to 6.5 is safe to most people. Extra safe is above that. You know, less safe is below that. 
And then you not only have all those various different issues, you have how much do they matter to you? And everybody then rates those of, well, it sure matters about gas mileage to me. It matters about safety to me. It matters about, I want to buy American versus foreign, all those various different things. And again, it, the weights can be what matters to me. And then you could just say, everybody put their weights into those various different things. And then they'll figure out for them, for them particularly, what really matters in a car and therefore what car they should buy. But you can also say, take 50 or 100 people, and what are the weights of these various different things? And then you'll find out that most people, when they're looking at a car, they don't care about the headlights, but they sure care about the safety. You know, they don't care about whether the interior is cloth or leather. It matters. To, it matters a little bit, but not as much as what the mileage is. And so all those things go into kind of what consumer reports does we look at the qualities of the car and the drivability and all this kind of stuff and that's why this car is a 92 out of 100 and this is a 66 and so if you're looking to buy the quotes the right car the best car out of all the cars to compare it to you can use this method to get to it and so i've done that for like hey we're looking for a hotel for a, a big gathering and what hotels have how good is the lobby what's the room rate how much meeting space does it have does it have lights in the parking lot and all that matters. And I did a choosinator so that in Chicago, when we picked the hotel we wanted to pursue for Halloween, it was the best hotel out of 30 that we went to. We went to a lot of hotels because it really doesn't matter if you're going to have 500 people there, that 458 of them are like, that was a great hotel. Not, we went to the one that all that matters is whether it had a swimming pool or not. And everybody else, more rounded, rational, they were like, well, I, I don't care about the swimming pool if the room rate was twice as much as another hotel nearby. So I've used that. And then here's the fucking kicker. I've used that and I proposed that and I've used it for a whole bunch of different things. And I can't tell you how many people they can't get off of the one issue that matters to them. Right. Does it have a coffee thing inside the hotel? If it doesn't, we're not going there. No, no. It, it matters that the room rate and the meeting space and maybe Starbucks is just outside. Nope. If it doesn't have coffee, I, I, I vote no. So we need to do Olympic judging that says the crazies get voted out of being able to have a big impact on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, good luck with and, that. And, and, and no matter what the thing is, and there's also people that like they go through this method and because it gets complex, they go, I'm not going to do all that. It's like, well, it's not just you. It's 500 people that we're trying to satisfy. You really are doing something in service to getting to the truth. And you saying that you're not willing to do it lets me know that you really are the guy that no matter whether it's a candy bar or a car, you just on well, instinct, on whatever, buy what the, you want. And then you suffer for you bought a shitty car and it's right. in the car. You know, <laughs> it lasted four years instead of 20. <laughs> scientificized this, whatever it happens to be buying a car and stuff. Whereas the, the salesman preys on the 85% of the people that buy on that emotion, like the impulse buy at the register. You Absolutely. know, that's why they're there. That that people, that's why companies, big companies spend so much money on advertising and they show things that don't tell you the facts. They don't tell you specs that look at, you know, um, I and I my cousin was like that with phones. I go and look for a new phone. I go to the specs. All right, that has more memory. This is a, the, you know, I look at all the specs. Yeah. I don't care if the screen's a, you know, a quarter inch bigger. I'm looking at the memory. I'm looking at the processor and all that. Yeah. And there's the phone I'm getting. And I have no idea what it looks like, but I looked at all what I wanted. My cousin goes, oh yeah, the guy told me this was the newest, hottest, coolest thing. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> and it is okay to go to experts if they really are experts as opposed to shills. But salespeople are you not. You know what I mean? 
That's what I'm saying. So we've <laughs> talked about this before, that advertising is just so insidious in terms of how they've tried to make it, that it really is an emotional decision for everything. And I think another part maybe of, it's not quite science, but it's human nature and psychology. We've talked about, you know, there's kind of a, um, the two marshmallow thing. If you can sit here in a room with this one marshmallow in front of you and wait a little bit, you get two marshmallows as a reward. But if you eat it, you get the one more marshmallow and you're done. And so there's a certain amount of delayed gratification that the work you're willing to put in, instead of just jumping to a conclusion, jumping to a solution, it pays off. It can pay off handsomely, not in two marshmallows, but in 10. And the people that don't have a feel for how much work am I willing to do in order to get to a good solution and whether every problem requires that. I don't need to do a, a compl complex study of candy bars. I like, what did I feel like? I want the nut one or I want the chocolate one. And it only matters nowadays it's three bucks, but still if you're <laughs> candy bar rich, you can spend three bucks without, Oh no, the mortgage. You know what I mean? There's, there's the ability to see the scale of problems and by orders of magnitude, geez, spend a lot of time picking your house and a lot of time your car and a lot of time, maybe your insurance, you know, whatever that threshold is, anything I spend more than $10,000 on for sure, more than a thousand. Yeah, I really could buy things on impulse, but I kind of want to know I got the value of my money because then it's not only how much I spent. It's like, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars and then feel stupid when it breaks in a year, right. et cetera, et cetera. And, and depending on who you talk to, some people don't have that instinct at all. They, they, every decision to them is just, it hurts. I want to get it over with as soon as possible. I, and, and like, you know, when they talk about like people who decry experts, well, this guy spent all of his life studying this. So that's why I trust him. Yeah. But the salespeople told me this phone was better. What you just said. And like, they don't have the ability to distinguish between a real expert and a blowhard. And then they get what they get. And the problem is that in large groups, we all get what we get if they're foolish enough to right. say i don't agree that despite all the science being about vaccination nah nah i reject it so whatever that thing is about people being willing to be and really at the base of it it's humble it's wanting to get to the truth that's not your truth the truth exists outside of you and that you want to be able to I always say this, you know, something isn't you can't you don't know something really well until you can explain it to another. You don't have it has to be something that you could explain to somebody else. And once again, this is science that it's not, I, I deeply believe this. I, I, I tend to use religious terms for when I think it goes beyond that to a little bit wacky. I witness about this and like, no matter how much this is true to you, it really isn't that you can like, so, and, and maybe well, about the paranormal, because we've laughed about this. I really don't care whether you saw a ghost. How can you prove to me that you saw a ghost. You don't get just to say, did the room get colder? You're really like, how did you record it? How did you, can you recreate? If I go to that same place and I try it, will I see the ghost? Oh, that's not how ghosts work. Well, already you're kind of like letting me, you're poking holes in your own theory because right. it's not reproducible. And yes, there really are things that are not do doable like that, but the depth of which people believe certain things, what, without being able to share that to others, it astounds me. You know what I mean? There is life after death. Nah, we don't know. Nobody knows. And, and you know, my, your brain is no better than mine. Nobody knows. It's not that, like, there are certain things that people have such amazing belief, faith in that are unknowable that it really makes it dangerous then because then they apply that to other parts of their life. And it really isn't that you're sure that this is right or wrong, good or bad. 
the earth isn't only 6,000 years old. The <laughs> Grand Canyon didn't get cut by the Colorado River in like 100 hard years. No, there's the path that shows now you're 220 million years behind because we know the fossils and we know the kind of rock and we understand the whole process of how the earth came to be and how this river did indeed take a long freaking time to carve the Grand Canyon. Right. Oh, Oh. So, so let me jump back to Oppenheimer. Yes. There was so much more about that movie. Yes. There was one scene where he was kind of getting, he was getting in tune with the universe and he was looking at a Picasso in the theater. And I, I realized at the end that the whole movie was Picasso that that they showed so many different sides of and different people and viewpoints and got it all in there in different ways. It was kind of like looking at the whole event as a Picasso painting. And if you had, if you had not told me who the director was, I would have never in a million years guessed it was Christopher Nolan as the director for that movie. It, Interesting. It, it was not anything like he'd done before. Aside from so what the story, did it have and what did it lack that would have led you to think it was him? Like what? what most is, of the time, what I associate Nolan with, and I'm not saying it's bad at all, is that you have a pretty standard story, a, a big blockbuster movie going type story that it, it, it's one of those that if you really stop and pay attention, you could predict what's happening. And he likes big action sequences. And, you know, Colin always says, oh, Nolan's got an explosion movie coming out. You know, that type of thing. Right. The Batman movies or Transformers and many, many other things. This movie was not that at all. It was crazy because every single scene felt like it was the climax of the movie. And they were all short and very not rushed, it, but it was a frenetic pace that you didn't right. even realize how frenetic it was. Every scene was as truncated and tight and short as you could make it. And they jumped scenes. You had to really pay attention. Do not get up right. and go to the bathroom, get a drink, get popcorn. Don't look at your phone because every scene has only the information in it for the, that part of the story. And it moves on. And if right. you blink for too long, you're missing stuff. He, he does trust the audience a lot. There's no voiceover narration. There's no returning to the same theme to make sure you're getting the point. He really does put together that beautiful mosaic. And maybe like you said, from could looking at it from multiple frames of reference, that's very Picasso. And looking at it from a frame of reference that you've never looked at it before, like Oppenheimer had to do to understand right. fusion, mission, how you would get to that that. That's a very good observation. You know what I mean? And there was a lot of, I love movies that like it was three hours long and it, there wasn't like looking at my watch. Why is it uh-uh. so long? No, there was no dragging points at it whatsoever. And, it's a big story, but it requires that big of a movie to tell this amazing story. There so. were a lot of traditional film stuff, techniques mm-hmm. and that, that he did not do at all. There were scenes that if you would have said, okay, there's this, this is what the movie's about. It's like, okay, then there's going to be a scene where the scientists are arguing and someone like swipes glasses off or flips a table and they're yelling and they walk out. They didn't do that. Or we got to show that they're getting on the train to travel to these different places. Let's show the train station, the train coming up and people are talking and they get none of that. It was, we're in the middle of talking to these people. We're done with that scene. We're in the middle of talking to more people. We're done with that scene. We're talking to other people. Boom, we're right. in Los Alamos. We were at Christmas. Now it's, you know, summer. Wait, it, wh- wh- where are 
it's you really got to keep up with the movie i i i was like this is a movie that if they had done it in a traditional film story movie sense it would have been a four and a half five hour long movie but okay uh, because it would have done all the, the setup shots, the framing yes, shots. That yes. Exactly. Okay. And the, okay. The explanation. That's me and Reese. When we talk about our horror movies, we usually yeah. love foreign horror movies more than American horror movies because okay. American filmmakers treat American audiences like they're complete morons. And they have to explain every bit of the movie and they have to like lead them by the nose through the story and every part of it. Whereas yeah. foreign films quite often don't. They, they figure, you know, you can keep They let up. you catch it. They let you catch up. Exactly. Right. And sometimes it, they leave things inexplicable. It just is. Yes. And it's not necessarily, oh, it's because it was the devil or something. Like <laughs> right. That. Okay. And that was right. one of the things that I think took me a while to get into Doctor Who. Because it's a very non-American type of show. And there are times mm. where you have to, like, think and keep up with it. Because it's not like an American drama as at all and i think that's one of the things that took me a while and and this movie it's definitely one i'm going to have to see again i I, it's like i want to see it again but i'm almost afraid that i'm not going to enjoy it as much and it'll degrade but i can't say it was like oh my god this is one of my favorite films ever it was just it's its own entity almost right it's an important movie like the more people get it like i don't know that's not quotes not in my lifetime but only 20 years before my lifetime i was born in 59 so they're working on this in 39 42 45 you know what i mean they they broke the atom for the first time they understood it within like 60 years of when i was born you know einstein's theory of relativity and everything that we came to understand about quantum mechanics it it's kind of cool the pace of understanding of science is not only fast but accelerating and that is its own thing that makes that unnerves people that they want to take advantage of you know this phone does a hundred miracles a day and i don't have to understand it i just have to know that i can beep beep boop and talk via internet wi-fi satellite etc etc and and yeah pick up the eggs at the grocery store you know that the the the, I, i want to watch a cat video i say those things to kind of tease about it but the fact that there really are people that talk about Oh my God, technology is going too fast on a miracle, on a miracle device. It's, it's kind of like self-ironic. You know what I mean? It's, it's yes. A, so, so one of the things. Go ahead, please. No, like they captured very well. What was it like to work in that time period? You know, before the internet, they didn't make big bones out of, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have instant communication. They really had, in a lot of ways, the ability to isolate and hide because there weren't satellites all over the planet that nowadays you you can't build a nuclear facility without, between the combination of sensors that we have going and all the eyes in the sky and stuff like that, that will know that. So I liked that. It made that what they did even more amazing. Like when you see the space capsule in the Smithsonian and you're like, that little tinfoil thing made it to the moon and back it made it into orbit and sustained a human being inside of it it's just amazing when you see and it had like 15 16k k of ram (laughs) you know what i mean exactly i pointed this out and colin and i argue about this because again I, you know, I, I told you we were a little late recording because I was just on an interview author stuff and she asked about, you know, fantasy. And I'm like, my, my whole life is kind of a fantasy figuratively and li- literally I, I just view the world that way. And I always throw out and I know Colin's like, well, that's not an argument that doesn't prove anything. But the point is, look at the beginning 
1900 to 1910. Look at where we were just barely putting up lines for the phone and electricity and people still living in Western towns with horses and not saying that, Hey, that's bad at all. It's just what it was. And in less less than 50 years, we split the atom. We get nuclear bombs. 30 years later, we're on the moon. And now we've got the internet. And I mean, that's in a hundred year time span. What the heck is going to happen in the next 70 years? (laughs) Yeah. It's, to just bring it up, so I think I mentioned I like a group a group and a concept called FIRE, Financial yes. Independence Retire Early. One of the main, celebrity is not the right word, let's say promulgators of the idea is a guy named Mr. Money Mustache. Just funny enough to be memorable, but he has been reissuing like the top hundred of his columns that he's put out over the last 20 years. And so many of them, they're not only about finance and and you know, getting to retirement, they're very much about what's the frame of mind you need to be in in order to have this happen for you, that you need to be able to be relatively frugal about the big things. And and you know what I mean? Like one thing that he talks about in particular is the world's going to get better. It's already unbelievably great and it's going to keep getting better. And as much as we might have the naysayers, the conservatives that are unnerved by change or the the people that automatically awfulize various different situations, I really do understand that things have a, a, a dark side, perhaps a, a, a terrible side. Nuclear power. Now we're talking about AI, you know, their genetics, nanotechnology. Oh, my God, we're going to turn the world into gray goo. I was in a, a cool futurist group that really spoke to this, that you have to have like enthusiasm and confidence that man is uncanny in terms of how he will solve every problem that it really might be that we have you know, slight ups and downs, but kind of like the stock market, it ratchets ever upwards. There are downturns and we get ourselves in trouble and have to fix the next problem we discover. But the the march of civilization, not only in the last hundred years, but in the last 10,000 years, you know, and if maybe we're, I will, my next talk probably will be about the long now, about taking on the kinds of long-term thinking that let us not be distracted by all the BS of the world, all the celebrity stuff, all the who puts ketchup on a hot dog, all that stuff. It's amusing, but deserving of like a second of our attention. And the way you should live your life is, I know I'll make enough money to do well. I know that my kids will do well. I know I can have optimism about and make decisions based on take care of, and the wealthy barber, a great book talks about this. If you take care of the top 10 things, that might go wrong or that you really have to pay attention to about your salary, about insurance, about medical, about et cetera, the next thousand things just don't matter. You really can live a life of whim. And I feel like going on a drive today. I feel like going to Europe. You have to do a little bit of planning that, but in the overall, your life is going to be better and better and better and better if you pay attention to the few most important things. And so Oppenheimer is, you know, like what you were just talking about yeah, we have to worry about nuclear power and it led to the Cold War and we had the doomsday clock and we're worried about are we really going to have people that, even though they know that this is potential mutually assured destruction, are we, you know, the Russians love their children too. Wasn't that a great song by Sting? Sting? That you have to count on a certain amount of humans have, they have within them to do the right thing. And not only do they have to do the right thing, but they have to stop the maniacs who really would burn the world down if they can't own it that they really will destroy the library of Alexandria because I'm the conquering guy and I'm going to destroy this civilization. The crazies that are willing to do that kind of genocide level, 
destruction that are willing to undo civilization with nothing to replace it. Like, at least you got to be able to say, that's a mad dog. That, that guy, you don't vote for him. You put him in a fucking prison. You put him in a pen where he can't harm others, at least. And the more that we get to where certain things, memetics, social media, that it allows people to like kind of magnify their crazy message, there at least has to be those certain people, like during the McCarthy hearings, where one guy finally said, like, have, have you no shame? Have you no honor? Have you, are you, I didn't realize the depth of your depravity and your barbarism we that you were willing that to now. do. <laughs> and and that's what we need is people that are willing to, it's not about, hey, what are your plans or non-plans? It's that this person as an individual is a madman and we, we're not following another Hitler. We're not doing the crazy stuff. And when you see societies kind of go down those weird paths, it's happening in India, the world's largest democracy, but Modi is... Like he's playing all the nationalist and religious and all the right chords to get amazing power. Erdogan in Turkey, like these weird crazies. I always think, wow, if you're wondering, you know, Say what that would about you our do country if you were in Nazi Germany? Exactly. It's like, we're doing it. We're deciding whether we're going to really go off the cliff with this guy and take the rest of the world with us. Or if we're going to say, nope, I think the rule of law, pretty good idea. I think scientifically democracy has proven that it works better than every other form of government and yes it has its problems but you don't abandon it without something better to replace it you don't just declare we don't like a free press we don't like you know what i mean you don't revert to things we got over like 200 and 500 years ago we're not a tribal society anymore and we shouldn't re-become one because that doesn't give us these incredible benefits that we are experiencing right I, I agree with what you said on, you know, things get better. I definitely can see the the vision of Roddenberry's future, you know, what he envisioned. Yeah. But infinite diversity and infinite combination, right? I think that's yeah. how it's all. And, and just his his shiny look at how the world will be better. That was one of the later arguments against Star Trek. Well, everything's just so perfect and nice, you know, right. but but. Here, here's what I, I, I see, though, that we say we don't like this, that and the other thing. And there are things that are bad, but there are people f- pushing back and not wanting to admit that and see those things that are bad for the change. And yeah. the thing is, those same people say, oh, we don't like all this other stuff from these third world countries. But the problem is everything they're pushing is turning us into those same third world countries and what's going to happen here's what's going to happen we are so busy inwardly focused on squabbling and well well we must have our guns and we deserve the right to have our guns and let's make that the biggest point and all these other countries are going yeah you guys go ahead we're going to keep advancing and we're going to move beyond you and pretty soon we're going to be the third world country and behind everybody else because they've moved on and you know they're actually approaching Rodney's vision quicker at this point than maybe right. we are arguably it i think what's going to happen i don't think we're going to have a schism in the united states but i think there definitely is going to be a, a dawning realization of the things that the craziest of the red states are proposing don't work they really have much higher infant mortality, much higher disease of every kind. They have much less education, so they're falling behind the ability to compete in a modern world that is very much about information, not about tobacco, if you will. And and the more that we get to 
we're not going to let them vote to say, hey, blue states, we're going to leech off of you. All the, all the excess wealth that you are producing, we demand our share, even though what we're demanding is to be a backward nation, like you're saying. Yes. So and when, that there's all kinds of things, as you know, that happen. Like H.L. Mencken had a great quote of, democracy is the principle that the people know what they want and they deserve to get it good and hard. And I think that the red states are going to find out, wow, what we're doing is not sustainable. We are going to fall behind in every way. We're going to have but they, they don't care they weather events. We're going to, our, our grid is going to fall apart. We can't just demand that, you know, there's a, a funny meme, but, you know, hey, I wish that everybody would just finally say, hey, smart people, we've really wrecked it. Please fix this for us. Will we ever come to that realization? Maybe, maybe as it really gets to, wow, I, I, I killed my entire small town in order to get this Walmart and then Walmart closed. And now I am one of those towns that on Route 66, that the expressways don't go by anymore and it just starts to wither and die. And will that become, hey, we're going to gather our guns and go try to take over another town to steal their resources? Are we really going to get to that Mad Max fight over gasoline? Are we really going to, you know what I mean? Are we really going to do the road to perdition where it's this, like the walking dead? Every one of those is not a, it's a cautionary tale. It's yes. don't get to that. Don't don't get to the point where a plague kills us all. Oh, you mean all you anti-vaxxers want the world to be back to bestiality? Wrong, wrong word, beast-like behavior. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, your guns aren't, you don't have enough guns. I, I just... Don't, I okay, think. don't we, don't we, haven't we attacked, bombed, taken over countries that don't have any type of gun regulation and they're kind of a threat. So we want to get rid of them, but aren't we kind of pushing for the same things? Aren't the countries that have some sort of regulation, the progressive ones? I, it's just, maybe I'm wrong. That's just what I see from observing the world. I, I think that what we're going to end up getting, like, I don't know. I think smarts wins. I think adaptability wins, like we learned from Darwin. So the people are determined to stay in the state that they're currently in, and they're not looking to, how do we clean up our water so we don't die from when something goes wrong in it? How do we clean up our air? How do we, the people that reject those things that like, quote, the nanny state, what a what an ugly name for all these shared resources matter, and we should have them be of unrelentingly good quality, not just Hey, uh, this guy needs to make money, so we killed ten thousand people yes, with a. It doesn't with matter a, a as long as I'm making you money. Know? That's right, and so you know, we, and after it's already happened, you can't like go lynch that guy. You kind of have to stop allowing the systems <laughs> that allow those guys to accumulate enough wealth that they really have not only company towns but like company labs. They're experimenting on what's going to happen in case my pool of tailings from my mine, if that dam bursts. And it floods, and it's not only going to kill people from drowning, it's going to kill people because of all the exposure to all the heavy metals and evil, evil stuff that's been brewing in that. Oh, well, I again, this is kind of funny to talk about the doom of the future. I think we're going to have a certain number of those things, but I think what's going to keep happening is medical technology is going to get better and better. Uh, you know, our ability to not have work be a requirement. Here, this is, the, you know, when people talk about guaranteed income, it's not based on, oh, the lazy people get to finally have their way. It's more based on we've created such an amazing amount of wealth that sharing it is the smart way to go. If you're trying to guarantee your civilization, you'll have 
all the people that could be the next generation that's going to continue that wonderful gravy train, make sure they're getting educated, make sure that they're getting enough nutrition. You're, you're not creating this vast divide between the rich and the poor because, you know, I know we're all, I'm all over today, but these really, they're all linked in my mind. Yes. They used to have a guy that went to, you know, the, the latest Caesar and said, you know, you are mortal, fame is fleeting, that you can't let people Ozymandias the world to death, that demand that they're the greatest that ever is and ever will be, but then you know what? They die, and now the world has to deal with the, the shambles that they left the world in, the, the Trumps and the Neros and the whoever the crazies are that have really, in their local way, just did terrible things to the world. At least we're only going to get, until we really conquer aging, you're going to get maybe 80 years of Mitch McConnell. You know what I mean? He's now showing sad, terrible signs of it. he's not capable anymore. He really had his freeze up recently. He had the bad fall. He's had signs of strokes and mini strokes. And I so much hope, well, as long as he doesn't have the button, as long as he doesn't in his bad state, that he still has the ability to share bad ideas so powerfully with all of us. Because he's he's no longer Speaker of the House, but he's still very influential. And so at least there's some reassurance that even the bad guys are going to die and that hopefully they're not so inculcating the next generation you know, here's a here's a big thought. You know, the Catholic Church or many churches talk about, hey, if you get us, you give us your kid at five years old, we got him forever. Well, that's exactly why terrible schools with no academic requirements are being formed up so that they can do that indoctrination. And there's kind of no better word for it. If we really are going to have a fight about education, it has to be about public education and what the experts have determined are the best way to do it. And that changes over the course of time. So it wasn't that we weren't teaching reading is that now there's a better way to teach reading or mathematics, but you don't say what matters is education. You, you, you have to keep saying a, a, an educated populace is the best guarantee against fascism and authoritarianism. And, and maybe the counterpositive is true. People who are going for no education for the people, what are they shooting for? So is to not have people wise enough to say that's a lie. That's that's yeah. That's a bad path. Uh, you know, don't choose your <laughs> your ministers of education and the people in charge based on how successful their businesses are. <laughs> I mean, exactly in selling that. ketchup, right? Yes. Exactly. So, so here, here's and, something to bring it back around to our dinosaurs. Yes. yes. So <laughs> one of the things we've talked a little bit about in science and education and, and acceptability is climate change. And I still say, I think there's other reasons. Here's the problem. We're, we're wanting to explore climate change as what all we're doing, but I think there's some other factors involved. And I think we would be good to figure those out also. I, I don't think we're looking at it enough, but that's not my point. That's a whole nother discussion that could last quite a while. The point is people say, oh, we need to do this to save the earth. That, 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 that sentence is wrong. There is absolutely nothing we will ever be able to do. Well, maybe at some point, but there's nothing we can do that's going to destroy the earth. It's going to kill us. We're going to die off right. and kill it's going ourselves. To make it uninhabitable by us. That's yes, right. But right. the earth will recover. The earth will be fine. Dinosaurs are a good case in point. They never developed all the technologies and everything we had, and they lived for millions and millions of years. We haven't done that. <laughs> so, who's actually the better creature? I I wish, having seen, you know, we've been dealing with climate change, global warming for 25 years now. And early on, I saw the cartoon that said, 
you know, it'd be terrible if we cured all this pollution and all these other things and left the world a better place and we did it for nothing. And that's the whole point is it's not for nothing. It used to be that stopping pollution was a good enough idea that we should, that there really was a clean air act and a clean water act. And that's what they did was they fixed the Cuyahoga river. They fixed Superfund sites. They, they made a point of not letting companies with only a profit motive, sociopaths, do whatever they wanted to do and let somebody else deal with the the fallout from it you know the the term i've heard is externalities the reason that some of these have made an incredible amount of money because they haven't looked at it in a 360 degree way it's not they make a product and produce some waste and don't worry they'll clean up that waste they make a product and spew their waste everywhere and say oh that's up to you guys to fix so no wonder they're able to parasitically Keep withdrawing wealth out of a system because they don't have to do all of what's necessary to make that sustainable. The solution that, like- is not to to build factories in other countries that don't have the regulations. The solution is not to take our trash and dump it in another country because it's cheaper. That's not the solution. That's right. And yet some people think that way. I can keep adding to that dump forever. I can take scows of stuff out into the Pacific Ocean until you find out, nope, now there's a Pacific gyre and there's plastic everywhere. Now there's so much crap in the ocean that we actually are seeing that 90% of animals have microplastics in their systems or we don't, we can't fish for certain fish anymore because they've got so much heavy metal in their systems that you, you can't eat certain species of fish. And why has it taken us like 50 years to realize we had a good idea and we're undoing it instead of don't make it about necessarily global warming and climate change. Just make it, I want to live in an environment that is cleaner, better than how I found it. There has to be a, you know, if I, if I have a, any kind of factory, yes, disposing of the stuff that overheats water, puts effluent out into the environment. That isn't just stuff that you can say that's somebody else's problem. There has to be. And why haven't the, and only the government, but the insurance companies should have pounded these companies with higher and higher rates because eventually asbestos lawsuits killed a couple of companies, but they knew that was coming. And so they should have had to pay for a long time when the due finally, when things finally come due, you're, you're, you're not going to have made enough money to make up for the damage that you've done. I hope that places will start to do that, that it really is, if it's an economic issue, that we treat it economically and say the government taxes them out of existence because they're the ones that are going to have to run the Superfund sites to clear all the brownfields that they've created. They're the ones that are all of it. You can't acid rain and like, wow, we, we spread their problem over, I don't know, 10,000, a hundred thousand acres. And now that land isn't properly arable. And now all the, all, and we, we've hurt 10,000 people that they drank water that used to be coming down from the mountain nice and pristine. And now it's got evil in it. Now it's got terrible. So maybe we'll finally get some people that are going to be really good. Maybe the lawyers are going to save us all, Stephen, because they'll come up with the test cases that say there has to be a way to make sure that the people that created this problem are also ones that have to pay for its cleanup. There has to be a way. You know I, what I mean? So, I, so I, go to it. Class action suit. <laughs> All the problems, you know, us being older see may see with the younger generation, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good things too. They're not listening and taking a lot of the crap that the old politicians and corporate leaders are spewing. They, they, they don't accept it. They don't listen to it. And they will 
support companies that are green. They will go out of their way to try and make things better. Now, arguably that could be because they're young. We're all a little idealistic when we're young, but as a group, they seem to be going that direction more so, even more than like the hippie generation or whatever. Right. So wonderful. You know what I mean? It's kind of funny with, with whatever increasing hostility there might be between generations. I think that that isn't true. I think there are certain loud mouths and gadflies that are making it that, you know, this whole group of people are what caused the problems and only this group is going to be the ones to solve them. It's always going to be individuals. And it might be that like, I don't know, whenever there were bad political things happening, Colleen and I sometimes commented, you know, why aren't there people out protesting? Have the old people gotten too tired and the young people just don't want to, and they're not paying enough attention or they don't think that's the best way to do it. I hope it's the latter that they think that, if we have a different lifestyle and a different way of thinking and that the way we're going to make sure that the world for our world, our, you know, that we're inheriting is inhabitable. I hope that there's all kinds of the, the worst of the baby boomers, you know, the, the fathers that, you know, ran companies that destroyed the world. I, I hope that that family fortune goes away and that those kids that his kids, her kids weren't doing enough to stop that thing from happening. I'm, I'm willing to, finally have justice done and have it not be that the life that they were expecting isn't quite the same. They don't need more islands. <laughs> they need more accountability and sense of humanity that says we're all in this together. And every tobacco maven that uh, every, every meth, not meth, Oxycontin, you know, producer. Well, that's honey. Those are only different because one has a brand name and the other doesn't, but there have been people that have been selling evil drugs and, and in bad ways, in addictive ways, and in, you know, holding back the laws that allow for testing for marijuana, all those things have been going on for so long. And the fact that, you know, you don't, you don't know it as a tobacco company. Now it's like, you know, essential brands or whatever else it might be. But if, they're, if their base is still in addictive, I, I feel terrible. I own stock in Monster and Celsius, both of which make those hyper caffeinated energy drinks and so forth and i think that they're still less harmful than all the alcohol in the world and all the oxycontin in the world and so forth but very much how i invest is trying to create that better future that we've talked about it's not only making a little bit of money for colleen and i it's like hey that's good med tech BioNTech de deserves to be able to save us from the next generation of viruses go moderna go BioNTech, go pfizer i want them to succeed and and here i, I don't know if i've had this rant lately there's so many cool things coming up with hey with electro things or magnetic things we can get to cancers in ways we never could before in your brain or in your internal organs that it's it's a more sophisticated less harmful less intrusive way of being able to cure certain things and one of my stocks riata pharmaceuticals just shot up 50 percent in a day which is ri ridiculous unheard of because their method of creating a specific disease that really only affects like maybe 5,000 people in the world, but the, the treatment is going to cost like $400,000. It's one of those things where you kind of become a prisoner in your own body. You lose muscle control. And, and for the people that need it, they kind of can't do without it. So it isn't only that they've created this treatment. It's that the things you learn while creating that kind of treatment, maybe that's going to help every kind of, you name it. MS, you know, multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's or muscular dystrophy, the things that are kind of systemic and bad like that. And that's what I like about these various different companies. And Notley Fool calls it often optionality. 
that they're not only, hey, we got a new widget and let's sell that widget. It's that all the things we've learned about that widget, we now can also put that into various different things. And it's not going to be 5,000, it's going to be 50,000 people and it's going to be 500 million people. Right. And whatever we're going to learn from how to do better vaccines, how to do better heart treatments. You know, now they've got a thing where one of, one of my guys is, instead of, you got, a, you got a, a clog and instead of putting a stent through it or doing some like relatively rough and maybe dangerous things to remove that there's i'm trying to think of what the name of the company is they have a thing where they really have the the little you know you do laparoscopic surgery you thread a little guy and he like doesn't just bore away through the plaque that's in the way it actually like slurps it out and gets it out of the way but not in a way that harms any of the arterial or venal wall that you're within and, and so like, again, from finer measurement, from better instrumentation, from computer control, so it's not a human being trying to judge, am I doing this right? But it's like, it's checking 10,000 times a second. Nope, haven't done any damage to anything. I've gotten rid of the bad stuff and left the good stuff. Like a self-driving car, like whatever other examples we could do, we're like, let the, let the computers who are idiot savants at doing that kind of continual monitoring and adjustment, let them do it. And so I, I just love, that I've got invest investments in a whole bunch of different places like that, that I, I'm just so looking forward to. Yep, pancreatic cancer is no longer a death sentence. There might be a cure. And, and that it's not only hoping for, every time that they make a little bit of a breakthrough, it's like, give them more money so they can do more research. Bet on the winners, bet on the, the biogens. Or the, and, and there's, unfortunately, there's they, they're also similar name. Is biogen the good one or is it amgen? Or is it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I love learning about that kind of stuff and I love creating the better future. And Hey, if it ever comes back that it works for me, Hey, we got a new, you know, our, our Dexcom patches and our, and our, our various different things that help with diabetics. I really am hoping that we'll cure diabetes that we'll have. You know, and, and, and like at a reasonable cost, I think I mentioned, you know, I was taking Mount Jaro for a while. Right. Well, that's now 900 bucks a month. <laughs> so I'm, losing weight instead. I'm doing what I should have all along instead of saying, take a pill, it'll be right. okay. I, I, I really love the fact, however, that the more that we learn about the human body and about material science and so forth, you're going to see, I hope, just as long as we're alive, our chance of living longer keeps going up because right. they keep on finding things about genetics, about chemistry, about all of it. And I know I'm once again, here. that's, I like the fact that you can work actively to create the better world by giving the smart people some money. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You know what I mean? Agreed. So, nice. When we had, we stopped doing stem cell research for mostly religious reasons. That was such a bad backward step. You know what I mean? During the Bush administration, we let fear mongering and, and not the betterment of humanity lead us. And right. other it didn't stop entirely. We found ways, again, humans are very ingenious. They found ways that didn't have to come from various different certain stem cell lines, didn't have to come from fetuses, which they were worried about. There were no fetuses that were being killed to get this. We weren't harvesting babies, but that's the kind of crap that you heard being said right. to build fear that made it happen. So, you know, just that, someone that wants this so much that they're willing to lie about it, maybe that's exactly why you shouldn't let them win the game. You know what I mean? They're willing to do anything, anything to get their way. Ugh. Agreed. And they're all, there's still too many of them. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're louder. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Great day. I, oh, thank you for adjusting our time today. And uh, we'll you. see. You. By the way, next week is my birthday. And depending on what Tuesday is my birthday. So depending on what 
shenanigans Colleen has planned, I might ask for us to postpone my day yeah. or else I'll get it done first thing in the morning and then we'll go off on our adventures. You and, know, so and we'll she's home all the time. So it could be shenanigans any point. Exactly. You know, we're taking advantage of that. There's a whole bunch of like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday trips besides only the weekends nowadays, because we can do that. We can just yeah. escape and go down to Gehanna. So, nice. all right. All right. Your dentist okay. tomorrow. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.